This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White, your host for this Series 2, Episode 58. We head down to Sapidus Farm to hang out with Oyster Mike, his wife and daughter, and find out about how he grows the oysters that we've been eating at several events for the last couple of years. This podcast is brought to you by Ayobio, locally made South African-style meats, if you're going to have some of these oysters, I suggest you get some biltong or some meat sticks, and you can have yourself a little surf and turf. Go to ayobayo.com, and please follow Vion on all of your social media. He's doing some really cool things, a lot of beer pairing events up here in the Northern Virginia area. We definitely want to get him on the podcast soon to tell his story. So we set out about 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning recently to head down the Northern Neck to the Great Wicomico River. And you will find out about the Northern Neck later on. I'd never been down there. I went to school sort of at the top between the two rivers where this body of land exists. But I'd never been down there. So it was pretty cool that Mike invited us down. And it was about a three-hour drive. The way home was about four and a half with traffic. 
It was a long day. I'm glad Dr. Jones can hold it in. It was very hot that day. We had the AC blasting, and we listened to, I don't know, at the same time, probably five different country music countdowns going on. We got to Mike's house around 11.30 in the morning, hung out, and it was like a vacation home. It was it was awesome. Mike's definitely got a good thing going on. So listen to Oyster Mike and the podcast. You finally get to hear what the wife sounds like. She's actually going to listen to this podcast. Hey, lady, how's it going? All right, so without further ado, let's get into this Ayobio uh, sponsored aquaculture podcast. And Jason, we're going to have to get you some of these oysters at some point, too. We are at Mike's house right now, owner of Sapitus Farms. We're having lunch at the moment. A bunch of fresh produce from the garden. We just went and picked cucumbers and garlic and some dill and all sorts of fantastic stuff down by their pond. After lunch, we are going to head out to the oyster farm and learn a little bit about what Mike does for a living and how he can handle this drive from down here in the northern neck all the way up to D.C. area several times a week. I'm looking forward to actually seeing Mike's operation after knowing him for several years and eating his oysters. They are probably some of the best I've ever had. I think they're the best ones you can get in the D.C. metro area. And my daughter's playing with his daughter. My wife's hanging out with his wife. His dogs are in the basement because they are rather large. The pixie is not large at all. You know we're near the beach right now, or the shore, because the driveway's got sand under the CR6, which is the, the concrete. I only know that from my engineering days. And there's oyster shells everywhere. That's how you know we're with an oyster farmer. The floor of the walkways in the garden. The garden was like maybe 40 feet by 20 feet. It was huge. And just oyster shells everywhere for the, the walkway. You can hear the bugs out here. It's absolutely beautiful. There's no sound except the bugs in the trees. The air has this sweet aroma to it. We have a mix of hardwood pine and some old, old oak trees. This is definitely different ecosystem here in the Tidewater than where we are just off the Tidewater towards the Piedmont. This is definitely relaxing. Mike's back window looks out onto a pond. So we're going to go down there and throw some frogs in a bit. See what we can pull up. The wife wants to fish. The pixie wants to fish. You really can't beat a day out of the city like this. Listen to those bugs. This is like a vacation home. There's some birds. One lane roads on the way down here. Just the opposite of back home. All right, Mike, where are we right now? So this is the oyster nursery. Uh, this is where the uh, beginning of the process starts. So um, I get larvae from a hatchery where they breed them in captivity, um, and then they sell those larvae in the last larval stage of development just before they become a shelled oyster, and that's called an eyed larvae. Um, they're called eyed because they have a little spot on them. And I take them through the last stage of metamorphosis into a shelled oyster in a setting tank, which is 
my fancy word for it is a recirculating downweller, but it's basically just a, a, an aquarium. I have that in the other room. All right. How big is this maybe? facility we're in right now? Uh, I guess about 60 by 24, something like that, give or take. Uh, it used to be an old crab shedding shed um, for doing um, soft-shell soft crabs, but... I converted it over to Oyster Nursery when I bought the place. Um, so this is the setting tank, and this is where the larvae go into when I get them. I fill this up with water to about here, and then I recirculate the water with a uh, pump, and then I aerate and I heat, and I keep it about 82 degrees. And this mesh right here is 125 microns. Mesh. Yep, that's a mesh. Whoa. 125 microns, so the larvae, when I get them, are about 250 microns or so. So this keeps them stuck on the mesh. And I give them really finely ground pieces of oyster shell to attach to. So in the wild, the larvae will swim around until they find something to attach to. Their preference is other oyster shell, and that's how you end up with an oyster reef. Um, but in this situation, I want individual oysters, so I give them very finely ground oyster shell that gets sieved out between 400 and 500 microns. So the, the shell pieces are between 400 and 500 microns. And a micron is one one-thousandth of a centimeter, I believe. Um, one one-thousandth one one of a meter, maybe. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, it's, it's really small. So... Um, Grains of sand, basically, is, is about the size of the, of the mesh. So I had uh, larvae in here a couple weeks ago, and I moved them over, and they are now in this tank. And I put them on 400 micron mesh because, and I drained this tank because it was overflowing a little bit and it needs to get sprayed. Um, but I put them on 400 micron and the colch, and then they sit on this 300 micron mesh in these two tanks as their first round. Uh, and that way, once they've attached to that piece of shell, they aren't going to fall through the mesh because the shell is bigger than the mesh opening. Once they get big enough from here, they'll move into the rest of the tanks, and the rest of the tanks have window screen, which is about 1,250 microns opening. Um, and as they get bigger from here, they'll move out into the actual river. Now, all the water inside this nursery is running through those pipes off the end of the wharf. I have three submersible pumps out there, and I pump the water up into this building through all the tanks and then it outflows back out cleaner than when I bring it in because the oysters are filtering, filtering all the algae out of the water. What's the time frame going from? So they spend a week in the, st five days in the setting tank undergoing the last stage of metamorphosis in shelled oysters. They'll spend three weeks to a month in the 300 micron and then they'll spend a month to two months in these tanks, depending on the time of year that I start them, this time of year they're growing like crazy. I mean, they're putting on a temperature, a, yeah, temperature and food availability, yeah. So they'll they'll grow a quarter inch every two days or so, wow. yeah. How about uh, that? So they're really cooking, and you can see on, um, I mean, you can see that that clear lip on the edge. That's all new growth. See that? It's razor sharp, too. you got to be really careful dealing with these gloves. They're the number one safety equipment for this. Um, so as they move through this entire thing, uh, they get bigger and bigger, and then we sort them out, and we put them out into polyethylene mesh bags. And those mesh bags um, range anywhere from 3 sixteenths openings up to 3 eighths and then 3 quarters of an inch. And once they get big enough, then 
from there they graduate into the one inch grow out cages and you can see this line of one inch grow out cages is right here uh, along the shore those are all four foot by three foot by 14 inches tall two-tiered with a lid and so I have maybe 600 500 600 of those cages spread out you can see all the buoys along the spit out there are all grow out that's all grow out stuff that's all grow out and I've got another couple hundred maybe 300 or so out on the out on the river off the point there um, and then random other cages all over the place so the bags will go into a bunch of different types of things but the best things I found are those floating racks so you see those PVC mm -hmm. um, pipes right over there they have a rack underneath of them made out of this wire mesh sort of like that but with larger wire mesh underneath of them and the bags slide into those and hang five deep uh, algae grows best where it can get the most sunlight and that's the top you know, rotate them out? No, no, no. They, they're good in that. In the top five feet or so of the water okay. column is where you're going to get the most algae growth and the best flow as well um, during the tidal shifts. So um, floating like that for the small stuff is really best. They grow best in that environment. Um, How much water can they suck in and spit out in a day? Uh, so an adult oyster filters about 50 gallons a day. Uh, for these little guys, you know, a few gallons uh, on up, depending on the size of the oyster. Uh, but for the nursery, uh, I'm flowing, oh man, I kind of got a little limit. It's I think 17,000 gallons per hour through my nursery. My goodness. Um, so, yeah. when, when friends of ours put in a beehive, everyone in the neighborhood said, my flowers are improving. Yeah, yeah. Have people commented maybe about just the water clarity? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the everybody around here is... is happy that I'm doing what I'm doing. They, they already knew the benefits. A lot of them have their own personal oyster floats off their docks. They know the benefits of having oysters in the bay. And so the vast, vast majority of them are happy. The, the only negative comments we ever get in our industry, and I haven't really dealt with it so much, is just that it's not pretty to look at when there's buoys in the water. But, you know, that's part of a working waterfront, and that's part of the beauty of the northern neck i think is that it is still a working water it's, community can you explain the northern neck and the water we're on here for those that are yeah not from virginia yep so uh in the chesapeake bay just below the boundary between virginia and maryland um the boundary being the south bank of the potomac on the western shore of the chesapeake uh, there is a peninsula created by the Potomac and the Rappahannock known as the Northern Neck of Virginia. And we are on the Great Wicomico, which is at the very end of the Northern Neck, just off of the bay. It's a direct tributary to the bay, uh, and it's only about a 30-mile long river. But it is home to the uh, largest single oyster population on the east coast of the United States. We have um, a great oyster estuary here, and um, I'm contributing to that with my cages but there are a lot of wild oysters out here also doing a really good job of reproducing uh, in fact a lot of guys who do more traditional farming methods of dropping shell down to catch wild strike and then moving it to their other grounds will drop their shell here in the great white comico to catch the strike because the strike is so notoriously good um, and then they'll use those that spat on shell to seed beds in the rappahannock the potomac um, little white comico, uh, piangi tank, all over the place around here. So, hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, this is this is the oyster estuary for sure of the bay. What's the tide at right now? Uh, we're low and maybe even slack. It looks like yeah, full full moonish. Yeah, it might actually be full moon tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Do you ever have raccoons come down here and try and pick through? I have had a few raccoons, yeah. I've had some more possums than raccoons. I caught a couple possums in some of the crab traps on the dock before, <laughs> and it's not a pleasant experience trying to get them out of there. Are these um, right here? Yeah. Submerged? Yeah. Is this uh, self-taught? Self-taught? Y- yeah. I mean, yeah. Is there oysters for dummies book? <laughs> like how to start your own oyster farm? There, there, there are... Certainly plenty of scholarly articles on the subject matter. The Virginia Institute of Marine Sciences, which is part of the College of William & Mary, they put on oyster aquaculture conferences every year where you can come and learn about the industry. They also provide uh, educational opportunities um, and are really legitimately there to answer any question. I, I know a lot of people down there now, and I know that I can call them in their office, and they will be happy to have my call and happy to answer whatever questions I have, and if they don't know the answer, they will figure it out and call me back. Um, so the state's really good about providing the information necessary and the, the training. Um, but a lot of this was self-taught, and, you know, my, my parents were actually both marine biologists by education. My One of my sisters is working on her Ph.D. in marine biology right now also. So I have a lot of... Um, a lot of marine knowledge in the family that I can that I can uh, pick from, and my parents were actually both working on clam hatcheries um, earlier in their educational careers, so they had some experience sort of in the same vein as this. Um, not too much difference between a clam and an oyster. Something's getting crashed right there in the water. Bait fish? Yeah, uh, probably bull minnows. We get a lot of bull minnows in the shallows. Um, out in the river, you'll see bunker running around and. Um, I don't know. It's probably striper scratching on them. To be honest with you, we, we had a saw lot of the stripers. two rods just sitting right in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to keep you just them. Come keep out them and ready. Just, if you see a striper, just yeah, busting bait, just cast at them. Yep. Two llama gloss with uh, Shimano reels. If llama gloss or Shimano wants to sponsor Sapta's Farms, you guys give me a call. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I keep those at the ready. Uh, actually, we've we've seen some neat stuff out here. We uh, we pulled a. Um, seahorse out of one of the cages not that long ago uh i caught a massive and i mean probably as as big as my arms can make a circle and i'm a big guy i got about six foot wingspan um stingray right off the dock uh we had about a four foot maybe five foot bull shark thrashing around out in the creek here not that long ago uh we catch spade fish we catch um puppy drum we catch croaker like you wouldn't believe uh white perch Lots of rockfish, obviously. We'll catch flounder and hog chokers. The flounder sometimes are big enough to eat, too. Um, and we get the dolphins come in a couple times a year and play here on the farm for a little while. Um, and apparently there's, like, a new subspecies of dolphin specific to the Chesapeake Bay. I, I heard that the other day. And I'm not, there's some grants to research Potomac dolphins. Yeah. 
So I think that's I think that's in that subspecies of ones that stick to the Chesapeake Bay for a, lot, a big portion of their uh, their their life cycle. So uh, yeah, we get some neat stuff. And then if you get out into the to the bay from here, just south of here, uh, there's a creek called Dividing Creek, and people catch big old cobia off of that they'll catch big bull drum um there's nothing i think more fun than fighting with a big bull red um i caught a puppy drum once that's all yeah that's all i can deal with i've caught i've caught plenty of puppy drum um but um i have caught a few big bull red down in florida before and they are uh they are fighters uh, we used to get a lot of speckled trout too, really big ones too. I, my biggest one off of the dock was uh, 28 inches, and that's a nice big speckled trout. That's like a Florida trout. Um, but we had a die off maybe four or five winters ago. We haven't really seen any in here since then, which is unfortunate because um, they're they're good eating for what they are. Um, not the most fun to fight, but they taste good. And... In your industry, any issues with uh, water salinity, higher tides? Climate change? Uh, yeah, certainly tides are uh, a problem. Uh, salinity uh, fluctuates since we're in the mouth of a creek and an estuary. We do get um, pretty high fluctuations in salinity, almost 10 parts per thousand. Um, it, can, it can fluctuate. Um, Does that affect the flavor? If the it oyster? affects the flavor of the oysters. And if we get a massive freshwater run real quick, uh, you can have some die-off as a result of that. Um, the tides have been more and more extreme. We've been getting a, a lot of flooding during uh, some of the more extreme high tides and high rain events. Um, the hurricanes can certainly make for real big problems for you. Um, I, there have been a number of times where I've sat down here for days running a generator waiting for power to come back on uh, and had to walk from my house down to the farm because there were trees across power lines the whole way kind of thing. So, um, yeah, and, and just the flooding in general can, can be a real pain in the butt. Um, but... You know, it's it's Mother Nature, and it's going to be what it's going to be. And unfortunately, I think that it's going to be we're we're past the point of no return with um, the climate being what it is. So, um, just going to have to deal with it as it comes. You know, that's all you can do. Does not look like a place you should be walking around barefoot either. Hell no, no, absolutely not. Uh, oyster shells. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. There's also we get a lot of snakes down here, so. Um, they're usually pretty harmless. Um, I've only seen a couple copperheads. For the most part, it's just the, the water snakes, which are, I don't think they're moccasins. I'm pretty sure they're just those non-venomous water snakes. So, um, but, you know, better safe than sorry. Don't stick your hand into their mouth. So when it's harvest time, if you have to do an event or you're doing restaurants, what's the process? Uh, so I'll take you into the dock and I'll show you uh, sort of the end of the whole process. Um, and how much do these cages weigh? Uh, empty or look, full? I'd say empty. They look heavy enough. E empty, probably, uh, I don't know, 20 pounds. Um, they're not that bad. Maybe 25. I'm not a great judge of it, though. I, I pick this stuff all, all, all the time, and it, it doesn't feel as heavy to me, I guess, as it might actually feel. Uh, oh, yeah, but there's, full... There's, there's crabs. Kiersey, look. Where? Those look like uh, killifish or mama chogs, maybe. Do you see it moving? There's a couple of crabs down there. Oh, yeah, there's lots and lots of crabs. Yeah, there's lots of oyster shells. A lot of those shells out there are actually oysters. What does this do? Uh, so this is my tube sorter. Um, this is how I grade the oysters. Uh, and I actually have a, a second tube you can see hanging up in there for the smaller stuff. So this organizes the oysters by size and helps me um, 
get them into the appropriate sized container. Okay. Um, so the mesh for the bags runs from 3 16 to 3 8 to 3 quarters, and that's what that small tube does. Anything that falls through the first set of holes is for the first size bags, second, okay. second, third, third. So it's dropping into these So, cars. yeah, so if okay. it's too small. Now, with this one, this is my market tube. If it comes out of the end of the tube and falls into a basket, then it's ready to be hand-sorted for a market-sized oyster. Um, there's a fish jump in there. Oh, there's a sea nettle down there, too. Oh, there's, there's oh, there are right a lot there of nettles. Billions of nettles. Yeah, this is nettle. Oh, yeah, there's a redfish right there. That was a drum. Yeah. I need to go set up the rod. There's, there's a, um, what's it called? Jelly. Jellyfish. That's the sea yeah. nettle. Yeah, there's what? a lot of just... I caught... Jellyfish? <laughs> it's, it's the name same of the sea thing. nettle. Yeah. I caught one of those in the eye the other day. What, Ooh, in your eye? Super unpleasant. Yeah. Like it flung its... Yeah, I was emptying bags on the table and, it, and it was on the table and oh, I yeah. had glasses yeah. on and I smacked the bag to get the oysters to fall out and it bounced off and smacked me right in the eye. For the first, like, three minutes, it was terrible. And then after that, it was yeah. bearable for the rest of the day. Don't get too close to um, How deep is it here? Uh, she can swim. Four feet? No, it's not four feet. It's two and a half feet, okay. three Just feet. You could stand up, yeah. But don't you don't want to like go in there. In yeah, and there's oyster shells and, and stinging jellyfish. They'll hurt you. You don't want that. Uh, so this thing sorts out my market-sized oysters when I... When I get the market-sized oysters that are ready to go out, I bring them back inside the boathouse, put my boat in here, and I put them into... This is the boat? This is the boat, yep, uh, the barge. And I put them into um, bins inside of these Taylor floats. And so Thursday morning when I am going up to Maryland or Friday morning when I'm going to Washington, D.C., I will come in here and pull up these baskets, put them through the tube sorter to clean the oysters off, and then count them out and bag them at my bagging station, which you can see right over there. And it's got its little bag. Yeah, there's lots of them. How do the crabs get in, in there? They'll they'll just climb through. There's spaces. Okay. Um, and nobody messes with these oysters. I mean, this is all so open. You mean human beings or critters? Human beings. Uh, no. So Virginia is um, really very serious about poaching. Okay. Uh, so if you're that it is, it's my barge. Yeah, it's beauty, isn't she? Uh, her name's Seafood. Yeah, and if you get that reference, you and I can be friends. It doesn't look like a boat. It doesn't look, no, it doesn't look like a boat, does it? It looks like a floating dock with a motor, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's useful. Um, $10,000 fine for your first time Wow, poaching. Yeah. You can hop on down here. Let me pull it closer to the dock so you can hop aboard. Permission to come aboard. All right, hop on. Oh, there's a whole bunch of nettles in there. Look at that. So this boat, or barge, uh, is made out of uh, sheet PVC. Did you make this? I didn't. I had a local boat builder build it for me. Um, they did a really nice job. It's perfect for what I do. Um, but it's all sheet PVC, so I don't have to pull it. I don't have to worry about rot or worms or anything. It's... Um, it's impervious, invincible. And then the inside is framed with um, lumber, um, treated lumber. And then there's a big old framing inside underneath of the davit there that I use to pull the cages out of the water. So that's, that's my main puller right there. And then I have these things that I had a local machinist make for me. And there's a crane out on the main dock, like a little dock davit. And I use that to pull up the, the baskets because they get kind of heavy. 
Do you have other baskets out there? So I have, yeah, we get a lot of jellyfish. Um, so this is all market stuff that I've sorted out for market. I know is ready to go. Oh, it's all. Okay. And then I have cages upon cages upon cages out there. Um, <coughs> I think we've got close to 600 cages in the water right now. Um, wow. We're actually one of the larger cage operations. How do they there's get me. There's me and one other person working for me, and she's part time. So. I don't know. And it's marked by the buoys. Yeah, each buoy, each buoy is a cage. Okay. Yep. Yep. How do the oysters get into that cage? I put them in there. That's where I place them. So they're already bagged up. Some of them, yeah. Those were returns. Returns? Uh, yeah. So I take returns, too. What do you uh, mean? So because I am uh, the farmer and I'm not a wholesaler and I'm leaving from the farm to go to the restaurant and then I'm going back to the farm afterwards, if a restaurant orders oysters from me and doesn't use their entire order in a week because they have a slow week for whatever reason, um, I will take those leftover oysters back and credit them one for one on that week's delivery. So they don't go bad. I am. So they won't go bad. They're still alive, and they'll go back into the water and be just fine, and in two weeks they can go back out for sale. I usually leave them for a little longer than that just to be safe. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, so that's one of my more popular programs uh, here is because, you know, I mean, it creates a situation where the restaurant isn't going to have any uh, food loss costs, which is great for them, and it makes sure that the product is as fresh as possible uh, for their guests, so that's great for me because it means people are only going to be enjoying a fresh Sapitas Farms Happy Oyster. Um, so it's a win-win-win. Everybody wins. And there aren't very many situations in the world where everybody wins, and that's one of them, so... I feel pretty good about being a part of it. Let's talk about eating them. Yeah, Are yeah. you like like uh, Bubba from Forrest Gump? Like, do you guys eat oysters <laughs> three not meals a, a day? Not as much as my wife would like, I think. But uh, no, uh, every couple of weeks we'll have them. Um, Angelina likes them raw. I'm all right eating them raw. They're my, not my favorite way to eat them. Isabel likes eating them cooked. She likes fried oysters. Everybody likes fried oysters, though. Um, so we'll fry them every once in a while. Uh, I baked them for my parents and my family a couple weeks ago, a month ago. You want to go for a ride? Yeah, we can go for a ride. We can go look at some of the cages. Um, what about the health benefits? Like, I, like I, I claim that I didn't get sick at one of the events because I ate so many oysters. Uh, so, yeah, they, they are a superfood. Um, they're extremely high in zinc, which is good for a lot of different stuff. Um, they have vitamin A, vitamin K, um, a couple of the vitamin Bs. They're high in protein. Pure uh, protein. Yeah, pure protein, yeah. Um, and they are high in cholesterol, but, uh, you know, they say that they don't really know one way or the other about cholesterol's health benefits at this point, so I'm just saying it just to say it. Okay. I think uh, we have a question down here. Yeah. Where do fish come from? Where do fish come from? Eggs usually, fish eggs. This yeah. is an oyster podcast. Come on now, <laughs> give it the program, child. <laughs> I, you, what's the biggest oyster you've ever grown? Do you have like one that's named? I got a pet. I got a couple of pets out there in one of the floats. If you want to see, just them. keep growing and see how big they'll get. Yeah, they were from my original garden. Uh, they are. They got to be ten years old at this wow. point. How long can an oyster live? Uh, like I a lobster, not, like yeah, indefinitely. I've not heard an answer to that actually, uh, and I've asked that question. Um, I've talked to some of the scientists at VIMS, and they say that they don't know specifically how long they can live, but um, they, just keep getting bigger? they just keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, Here, let me grab the. Can I go in the boat now? 
We're gonna go on the boat in just a minute, yeah. Do you wanna see Mike's pet oyster? You've got a whole just nursery of juvenile fish and the nettles and crabs. Yeah, it's pretty, this is pretty cool out here. You just let that one hang out in there? I let all those in there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my gosh. That thing is. It's big enough. I'm going to get a picture. Oh. Let's get it out in the sea. Kiersey, do you want to hold this one? No. No? Get that. And are there other animals on it, Kiersey? Yes. I love that briny smell. Yeah, that's that's ten years old, give or take. Did you get a picture of me holding it, lady? Yeah. That's a big oyster. No, I'm not giving you. Now, something like this tastes good. Uh, in the industry, we call stuff like that a uh, gagger. You've been knocking this fall thing. No, that's not that's not a raw oyster. You can cook it; and it'd be good for stew or something like that. I, but I wouldn't eat it raw. Um, I don't even think I'd eat it fried, to be honest with you. <laughs> too much for me. How long can they stay out of the water? Prehistoric. Uh, it depends on the temperature outside, but in a refrigerator, they can last for weeks and weeks. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always think they're so like vulnerable, but you have to eat them within an hour of buying them. No, they're look at all those crabs. Are those sponges? Yeah, we got a lot of sponges. <laughs> My, there's sponges so many critters out here. Yeah, it's... And then red brown algae. Yeah. Rhodophyta, maybe? I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know any of those names. Um, but yeah. Lots and lots. We get a lot of crabs. I usually keep the traps in the water. We eat crabs a couple times a week during crab season. Um, occasionally I'll get a soft crab, too. The soft crabs like to come up, or the peelers like to come up into the floats and, and peel in the floats. Cause they, Safe. Yeah, because they know they're protected there. Uh, not for me, though, because i got a dip. <laughs> so. Uh, so, yeah. That's... What were you doing before this? Well, and what was the decision? You'd be like, I'm going to go work outside, you know, wear shorts, sandals all summer. Yeah, I'd be in trouble if I wore sandals at work here. But uh, today I'm wearing them. Um I used to teach American government to 11th graders in Southern Maryland, and my parents bought a house down here in the Northern Neck, and I really loved the area, and I was coming here with my summers off. We got an oyster garden going off the dock, and that's where those guys are from, Okay, uh, off our dock at the house back, at, back where we were earlier. And... Um, I started doing some research on the oyster farming industry, and when I decided I was going to leave teaching, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but uh, I read an article that said it was the fastest growing industry in the state of Virginia, and I thought, well, if it's growth industry, then that means that uh, it's going to be doing well. So let's give it a shot, and that was in 2009 I started the farm, and here I am, what, eight years later, and I'm I'm not working any other part-time jobs finally. I'm just working 78, 80 hours a week here. Um, <clears throat> so how long was it before you started that you were bringing stuff to market or selling? Took me two years. So in 2009, I incorporated and planted my first crop and I did not harvest for market until 2011. Uh, it takes about two years to get a market sized oyster. And even then I was only supplying, I was losing money on my trips to Maryland to deliver because I was only supplying a, a handful of really small places because I just didn't have the stock but I wanted to start building a name and a reputation uh, and so that's what I had to do for the first 
couple of years was kind of lose money on my trips. How um, far are those drives? Uh, so now I put it uh, around a thousand miles a week on my van. What time do you get up in the mornings? Uh, I get down here, uh, on a normal work day at five 30 and on a delivery day, I get down here about four 30. Um, I imagine the stars are pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty here. Um, we get some bioluminescent algae, nice. uh, and that's pretty neat. And, um, yeah, it's quiet. It's a quiet and, and pretty place. So, um, I'm kind of living the dream right now. All right, question. Are oysters small or big? Well, it depends on how old they are. Some of my oysters are super small. In fact, I was going to go up to the barn and get our microscope so you could take a look at some of the smallest ones underneath of the microscope that are just Ooh. tiny babies. Do we want to do that next? Yeah, I think that sounds cool. And then the boat. And then we'll go on the boat. Yep, all right, I'm into all that. Can we wait for my wife to get back down here for the boat? Because I'm sure she'll want to go for a quick boat ride. Is it that boat or the other one? It's the other one. That's our, that's, no, that's just a floating dock. Uh, that was an upweller for a while, but it was it's janky. An so, upweller? Yeah, uh, an oyster nursery. So it, it draws water up over a screen that the oysters rest on and then dumps it out the side. So it's upwelling the water or welling the water up over the oysters. What are those things that's just algae growing. Mm. Red brown algae. Good, good, healthy stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. We haven't had uh, any uh, crimson or red red tides or anything like that in the Great Waikamako, so we haven't had any bad algaes so far. Right. Let's talk about. Yeah, oysters can get a bad reputation. Any myths you'd want to debunk? Well, you know the the most common one you hear is. Um, is the R month thing that you should only eat oysters in months with letter R. And that used to be true before mechanical refrigeration. But uh, now that we have mechanical refrigeration and really tight controls set by the FDA and then enforced by your local health departments, um, we are able to supply a healthy, safe product year-round. So... Um, that's the big one is that summer oysters are just as good as winter oysters, if not better, I think, because they, they have the algae in them. So they have that extra sort of minerally spinachy, cucumbery kind of flavor to them, uh, that they don't get in the winter. Um, so that's one thing. And, um, the other thing is, is a question I get asked all the time and it, and it kind of, I, I just, I guess I, I can see why people ask it, but, um, do my do I ever find pearls? My my oysters are not pearl oysters. They don't produce pearls. Uh, in fact, uh, Crustacea virginica and Pacifica gigas, the two main oysters we eat in this country, neither of them produce a pearl. And the most uh, common pearl oyster is actually a species of mussel, uh, and it's not a, an actual. And those have got they have oyster. to plant yeah yeah for farming seed or something yeah so for farming it. they'll they'll wait for the oyster to be gapped open underneath water breathing and then they'll stick something in there to keep it propped open and then place little granules of sand in between the mantle and the Ooh, shell needlefish and, yeah we Gross. got a lot of needlefish we got lots of them um, they're about as bad as gizzard shad for smell yeah I have not uh, I've not had the misfortune of that we get pipefish too those are kind of neat looking but no gizzards you're lucky. I haven't seen any gizzards now. That's bad. They're, I say they're the Jawa of the fish species. You know, no one likes them. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's, those are the two big, two big myths, I guess. What about o- opening them. 
Pain in the ass sometimes. Um, <clears throat> it's pretty dangerous because if we're going to... Yeah, I've never tried. I see Alex with you at the Healing Waters. Yeah. He's going to town. I'm like, yeah. I'll let him do that. Yeah, Alex is, is good at it, actually. I'm, I was kind of... I was a little wary at first when he first came over and asked me to help three years ago, and uh, he did a good job. So I said, screw it. I'll take free help. Heck yeah. <laughs> Plus, Alex is a super nice guy. I really like him. Um, <clears throat> I was hoping he was going to come down and visit. I'm sure at some point he will. Yeah, this, this is welcome to my every day. All I do is I hear fish jump, and I say, damn it. I need to go start. Question. question. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Where are the pearls for the oysters? Did you not just hear that? He just answered that. Where are the pearls? So the pearls come from the South Pacific. They come from pearl oysters, which are a type of mussel. What are those? Those are just dead shells. We call those boxes. And how much do you have to grind them up yourself? Do you just toss them in uh, the There's a guy up in uh, Reedville that I know who, who specializes in oyster, excuse me, huh, selling oyster seed. And um, he's got a, um, a grinder that he uses to grind up the shell. And I think it was for, like, um, gravel or something like that. Um, and then a vibratory sieve sorter. Uh, and I'm actually in the market for a vibratory sieve sorter right now myself to sort out my, my seed. Um, it's funny a lot of the, a I lot can, of the equipment, I can interpret that so differently. Yeah. Uh, the uh, a lot of the equipment we end up using in this industry is borrowed from other industries. So a vibratory sieve sorter is um, really popular in both the pharmaceutical industry for sieving out granules of different sizes on very fine mesh, and then it's also very popular in the um, sort of dirt gravel sand industry for organizing their products by uh, like sizes, yeah. uh, and so. It's a useful piece of equipment for small oysters because it does a good job of sorting out the really fine little oysters. Oysters are big and small. We determined that, yes. True statement. So I read that Kim Jong-il had only ate a certain size grain of rice. Hmm. But I'm not sure if he had a sorter for that. I think people had to hand sort the Hmm. rice. That's how you know you're really crazy. Yeah, that or you've just got that kind of power, man. I mean... Who was it who, was it Keith Richards only ate brown M&M's, is it? I can't remember. Somebody like that. Heroin? Yeah. Anyway. Why not? I mean, if you can make people do it for you, why not do yeah. it, you know? So how many hours do you spend down here a day? Oh, a lot. It depends. This time of year is a lot heavier than the, the winter because uh, everything's growing right now. It all needs to be sorted and organized and cleaned because I get so much fouling with all these algaes and sponges. And we got all these other predators in the water, so you got to make sure there aren't crabs in the cages with the small stuff and all kinds of other stuff. So right now I'm working uh, a really slow week for me right now would be 60, 60 to 65 hours. Uh, a long, heavy week with a lot of events, I'd be up to 80 hours wow. or so. Uh, but then in the winter, like January through March, when things are really slow, I'll, I'll drop down to, you know, 45, 50 hours a week. Um, so, but I'm working for myself and I'm working on the water Yeah, and I do something and I love. And so five minutes yeah, from home, half, so you can go home for a sandwich, home. come back. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's, it's worth the time. The events are the thing that are, I think, the most fun because that's where I get to meet people and um, 
share share my enthusiasm. Any crazy stories from an event? Oh, I've seen some wild. Some stuff. people like having contests. You can eat the most. I've seen some of that. Yeah, I've seen some pretty ridiculous stuff. Uh, I've I've done some some um, <laughs> I've done some events. Bachelor uh, parties. I haven't done that. I did uh, I did a, a golf tournament for a restaurant um, that was. Um, I've done it for a few years now, and it got a little bit more tame this year. I think last year it was, it was a little overboard when the strippers crashed the beer cart on the golf course. Oh. Um, and I don't uh, want to know where the oysters were. Eating we out were, of. we were, yeah, no, we were right, we were right by that. So I, I was paired with a vodka at that one, and some oyster shooters galore. Wow. Uh, but that one was in a really an intense experience. Um, I'm glad my wife didn't come work that one with me. She would have been shaking her head the whole day. Uh, but um, but no, and then I've I've gotten to do some really fantastic stuff. You know, I I, I got to do uh, the University of Maryland. I got to shuck on Bird Stadium Field for a home football game, and that's my alma wow. mater uh, for the dean of the school I graduated from, which was really a fantastic experience. Uh, I've gotten to do Project Healing Waters for the past four years now, and I, and I hope and plan to be a part of that for the rest of my career. Uh, I've worked with CCA in Maryland and Virginia. They're both great organizations doing great stuff. Um, I've worked with uh, a friend of mine. He set up a fundraiser, which is actually how I got linked up with Project Healing Waters. Uh, he did a trap and skeet tournament on the Eastern Shore for a few years, raising money for wounded vets and organizations that support wounded vets. Um, <clears throat> I've done backyard barbecues. I've done high-end weddings. Uh, I mean, the, the whole the whole gamut. And I've met some really fantastic people through them and, and had a lot of fun. And um, it's one of my favorite parts about this job is, is getting out there and sharing it with, with other people. Do you get to change people's minds? They're like, oh, I want to eat oysters. Oh, I've never yeah. had one. And they yeah, slurp it yeah. down and yeah. you see their eyes light up. Yeah, yeah. I've, ta- I've taken quite a few oyster, oyster virginities in, in my time. Yeah. No, that's I always like that a lot. My favorite is when little kids come up and they're just pounding oysters because they've already eaten them and they know they like them and they're just hammering at the oyster tray it always makes me really happy um but no i've I've had a lot of people say oh no i don't i don't i don't and then i've talked them into having one and they said you know what it's either you know what that wasn't that bad or you know what i kind of love that and i'm kind of be going to be eating those from now on so um so yeah yeah yeah, it's a good part of the job too fantastic Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take a break, and okay. then we'll, we'll start up again when we're on the boat. All right. We'll go play around a little bit. See the microscope? Yeah, let's All right, so we're on a boat now, like the SNL skit. I'm on a boat. Where are we headed? Uh, we're just doing a tour of the farm. We're going to drive around uh, the mouth of Tiber's Creek and out onto the Great White Comico for a minute, and then come on back to the dock, I guess, maybe do a little fishing in between. And I almost stepped on your spud pole? Yeah, my spud pole's... So um, when I had a bunch of my shoreline remediated, uh, they brought in a barge with a pile driver on it to drive the piles for the wharf and the dock, and it had these poles that slid down slots on the edges of the boat to anchor it in place, sort of like power poles, but they were, you know, just hand poles to stick in the ground. And I said, hey, that's a great idea. What are those? And they said, oh, those are our spud poles. I said, well, I'm going to do that for my oyster barge because trying to anchor yourself in place while you're pulling oyster cages is impossible, especially in the wind. So um, 
I got a 20 foot section of aluminum pipe and cut it at an angle and a half so that it became a spear and then I had some uh, aluminum uh, rectangle stock and some uh, flat and angle iron stock welded onto it to make little slots on the side of the boat and so I can anchor myself down and you can leave one spud pole in and use it as a pivot point and actually rotate the boat around as well so you can work your way through an entire section of cages kind of wiggling your way through them so that you're lined up and you're basically a, a stationary dock with a with a davit or a crane on the dock on the on the boat so it makes it makes it much easier how long does it take once you leave the dock to do a round out here? Oh, less than 30 minutes to grab uh, 10 cages or so. Uh, and that's 10 is about the max I can fit on the boat. Do you ever have kids in tour groups come out? I've done, a, I've done a few. I actually have uh, a summer camp for Isabel's school coming on uh, Monday to do a tour of the farm. They're doing a farm-to-table week at school, so um, we're going to be... Uh, doing a little tour of the oyster farm, and then they're going to have a chef come in and cook some oysters for them and show them how to shuck them. And My goodness. Yeah, they do serious stuff down there. All right. Um, so you can hear my 15-horsepower two-stroke. That's a 1990 Mercury Mariner right there, and she has been uh, in service with really minimal maintenance for that entire time, uh, 25 years now. And the only thing I've ever had to do is yank the carburetor and rebuild it and run it through a parts washer. But um, otherwise, she's true. Starts in 14-degree weather, starts in 110-degree weather. She starts. There's a lot more nettles out here than I was expecting. Oh, it's like yeah, every it's, square foot. There's it's not good swimming weather right now. Oh. They come in. They came in about a month ago, and they'll be here until September. And uh, you will get stung if you get in the water. A couple years ago, Angelina, you said, uh, oh, I'm just going to jump in. I'm not too worried about it. And then as soon as you jumped in, you turned right back around, swam to the boat. Got to pee on me now. They came right after you. <laughs> he had a pee on his eye the other day. Yeah, because I caught one in the eyeball. Yeah. He doesn't like it like that, I added this little folding ladder here for them when they go swimming off the boat. I feel like we're going into Hades right now. Feel like you're what? Going into Hades, taking the barge across. Oh yeah, I can see that. So here's some of our oyster cages here uh, on the spit. These are some of the smallest stuff. This has not been sorted yet from the one-inch cage, so it's been put in as barely bigger than the one-inch mesh, and so. This is um, smaller stuff at the moment. It probably is, you know, inch and a half or so at its at its short point, and maybe two inches at its long point. Um, so all these will probably I won't I won't sort for market until the fall or winter um, because they'll need the entire summer to get to a marketable size. And then when I do sort them, there will be stuff that's perfect market size which is three to three and a half inches and then there will be stuff that's bigger four four and a half sometimes five inch stuff and that i sell separately to a few select restaurants that want uh, a larger product like that uh, the gaggers basically and those guys are for cooked oysters um, mostly fried stuff but um, they do other things uh, as well but 
like Himitsu is doing a uh, doing the selects, the big ones, and they do a cornmeal fried with like a um, uh, like a cream reduction, and then a uh, chili paste with um, powdered spinach and salt on it. It's pretty delicious. I've had a lot of really interesting stuff uh, done to my oysters. That's one of the more interesting things. Um, I'm looking for shadows over this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah right here. Funny. My favorite, without a doubt, and I got to give props to my buddy Wilbur Cox Jr., who I love. He did a Tabasco sorbet with an, uh, in a basil oil. So he pressed the basil for oil. And it was just those two simple ingredients on top of a raw oyster. The most amazing thing I've ever had in my entire life. It was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's uh, an osprey. We get a lot of osprey. We get a lot of bald eagles, too. And sometimes the ospreys and the eagles fight. And the ospreys always win because they work in teams. And they'll one of them will be going up and will get up real high and then dive bomb the top of the eagle. And while he's dive-bombing and smacking the eagle in the back, the next one is working its way up to a diving position, and they just hammer the bald eagle down into the water. And they can't swim or anything, so they have to like kind of like work their way up with their wings to get to a shore um, in order to get out. It's pretty incredible. That's why I love the ospreys. They're beasts, and they're smart. Anything you look for when you put out the, the baskets here? As far as, yeah, bottom bottom and flow. I mean, you want to find a nice hard bottom so they don't sink down into the mud because uh, then they can get stuck and it's difficult to get them out. So sandy bottom is important. The other thing is the flow. So like this back corner where we are here, it's, it's a, a far bend uh, and it's not near either of the mouth or the, the uh, channel at the spit. This is the slowest flowing area. So this is stuff that I kind of set aside to grow slowly um, because I'm either things are moving too fast uh, in the other areas or I have too much market already and I don't want to let it get too big. Um, so I have some there. And then I have some other stuff at the other end of this line over by the spit uh, at the, the, the uh, channel over there. And that's crazy fast flow. And that's stuff I want to move from just a little bit smaller than gagger into full gagger status. Um, so I've set a bunch of bigger stuff over there to get over the hump into, into real big stuff. So um, so that's what we're looking for with cages and kind of how you can work the area. Um, but this is, I mean, you can see how sandy it is up here. And it stays really sandy coming out. It's not muddy in this corner. So it's a good spot to set the cages. Uh, it's also a good spot for swimming when there's not sea nettles and stingrays and sharks and all that other stuff swimming around out here. Can we go to the beach? I don't know if we're going to the beach. You want to go to the beach? We can go to the beach. What about the water temperature? Right now? Uh, we don't really freeze, so the... Um, I just want to go to the beach. The mouth of the, the creek, you can see, is, is north-facing. And so in the winter, when it gets real cold, the wind's coming out of the north. And it'll actually churn the water this way and keep this from freezing up too bad. At most, we'll get like a half an inch of ice around the around the t first 10 feet or so out. Um, so I don't really have to deal with it. The only thing I have to make sure I do is take the cages out to deep water in the winter. Because we'll also get, every winter around February, we get this freak low tide where the bottom just drops out of the bay. And where we are right now, which is, what, 15 feet from shore, would be 15 feet up water from, I mean, up, up 
land from the shore. So we'd be halfway between where the water is now and where the water will be at low tide. Um, so if, if the cages aren't deep enough, they will, they'll be exposed and, uh, and they'll die because they can't handle sub-freezing temperatures. Um, I had a buddy who had a bunch of seed lost in that freak, freak low tide maybe three Februarys ago. He lost a whole bunch, tens of thousands of oysters. And, um... He uh, he had two cages that didn't end up losing anything out of them, and he went, when he went out to see everything and kind of gave up, he noticed that those cages had salt water had sprayed over the oysters and encased each of the oysters in ice, and so all of those oysters survived because they had that insulating layer of ice. So they only got down to 32 degrees. They didn't get down to about the 10, 8 degrees that it ended up being. And that was without the wind chill. It was a really cold one. Um, but if they hadn't had that ice casing around them, they would have they would have died for sure. So that was pretty interesting. I thought that was kind of cool. They got, they got lucky like that. Because um, the wind, that was a screamer. The wind was screaming out of the northwest. And the way that the bay is situated, a strong northwest wind will push all the water out of the mouth of the bay. Um, so when we get that real bad northwestern with uh, a full moon, we get this just ridiculous low tide that drops the bottom out of the bay. And it's it's. I lost a bunch of oysters the first year because I didn't know about it. And then the second year, I had everything in super deep water, and I didn't move it in shallow for the summer. And so I lost all that stuff because it wanted to be it wanted to be shallow for the summer because deep water in the summertime gets deoxygenated. So uh, first couple of years, I, I lost a lot. I killed a lot of oysters trying to figure out my sweet spot. And now I got it down. Um, but yeah. it's crazy that within a, you know twenty yards or so, you can change the growth out here. Yeah, like, this little spit. Are they going to find something cool on the beach? They might. Uh, we get horseshoes out here. Really? Um, we get manos, clams, too. Um, I find they're dead shells all the time, but I haven't caught what, any. What's one of those? Uh, it looks like a razor, razor clam, sort of. Uh, it's all white, uh, and they're long and skinny. Uh, they are, yeah. Uh, they were a big industry for a long time, but um, they got fished completely out of the bay. And now, uh, I guess they, they still fish them on the eastern shore, uh, of the bay because um, they have some certain areas that are set aside and, and they're allowed to do it but in this area they're pretty much gone but I've seen a lot of them in, in the Great Wacomico so maybe they're coming back that one tree is totally just gnarled by the wind out here yeah the that cedar yeah yeah the cedars end up kind of cool sometimes that one's pretty neat bayberry I think is the other plant right yeah. here yep you know we get a lot of bayberry and then that is a um, persimmon Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know if that one in particular does, but we have, I have five or six of them on my on my farm that, that fruit. Um, my least favorite fruit. They are awful. I, I hate persimmons. So clean your out. They're, they're, yeah, but they're ripe for like three seconds. <laughs> there, there is three seconds in the, in the history of that persimmon that it's ripe and it's good. And the rest of the time, it's either that like bitter dries so your, yeah. yeah, dries your mouth out awful or it's too ripe and then it's that mushy gross and i am 
I'm not particularly fond of those. I'll eat them if I'm hungry. I forgot a lunch. But, um... They're good in Israel. Yeah, I can see that. This just, I guess, for whatever reason, Virginia doesn't doesn't turn out a good persimmon. It's a good thing you're not a persimmon farmer. Yeah, I got I would not be a very good persimmon salesman. I don't much care for them. <laughs> Let's see. Where can, uh, what's your radius if you're going to go and do like a restaurant sale or an event? <clears throat> um, so those are sort of different. Um, uh, for restaurant sales, right now I'm in Baltimore, Columbia, Maryland, and Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, and I go up 301 through Southern Maryland uh, to get to the Beltway to go up 95 to Baltimore. And then back down 97 to 301. So if you're anywhere in that route, uh, that is totally reasonable and I'm happy to do that. Baltimore is Baltimore and, and Columbia, Maryland are sort of my, my home turf where I started with my sales and where I sort of grew up and uh, I had a lot of inns at restaurants so those made sense to be a good place to start plus I love Baltimore even though she's what she is I love her um, and so now Fridays I do Washington DC and I'll usually come up the same way 301 but go in Indian Head Highway and then around uh, through like National Harbor to 495 to 695 into the city um, but um, I could just as easily come up 17 to 95 and go up in through, uh, was that Alexandria, Arlington, sort of the area in between those two. Um, and I could come back that way also. So I just started in D.C. on Fridays, and I'm looking to sort of expand that, and um, I'm looking for new accounts. So if you're in D.C. and you're listening to this, uh, check me out. It's sapitusfarms.com, or uh, you can check me out on Facebook or Instagram at sapitusfarms.com or at Savitas Farms for uh, Instagram and <clears throat> I don't even know how you find it on Facebook just punching Savitas Farms yeah Savitas S-A-P-I-D-U-S Farms F-A-R-M-S Farms is busted so yeah I'm sure there's figures out there you got Happy Oysters Happy Oysters yep um, so that's the brand name for them and that is trademarked and everything uh, which is kind of awesome and uh, yeah, I do all my own sales and distribution. So if you get a happy oyster, it has come from my farm in my hands to you. And there are not a whole lot of oysters out there that can make that claim. Awesome. What's well, awesome? You get to do what you love. I'm happy about it. Yeah. And you get to feed yourself from your work in your office. Yep. And you're doing a good job for the environment too. Yep. Yeah, it's a win-win. It's a win-win all around. Thanks for hosting us today. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.